Welcome to Enemies of the People. A podcast about extremism in the 21st century. Hello, frenemies. It's me, Maria Norris. Like many people during the pandemic, I turned to TikTok to cope with the endless days. I actually love TikTok. I think it's an amazing platform with some of the best content creators on the internet. TikTok is often dismissed as a platform geared at teenage girls and dance videos, but it's actually so much more than that. However, a lot of recent research has also highlighted the dangers of TikTok as a platform for radicalization and extremist content. So to find out more about this, I spoke with Abby Richards. Abby is a TikTok disinformation researcher and is one of the leading creators on the app, highlighting the platform's destructive and extremist potential. So without further ado, here's Abby. I'm Abby Richards. I am a TikToker and a TikTok disinformation researcher. So I research and study disinformation and extremism on TikTok. And then I also make content to explain and sometimes counter it. You've done brilliant content that I've used myself in my classes when I'm teaching. Really? I know I have, especially your pyramid of conspiracy, the hierarchy of conspiracy. That is such an incredible resource. Can you tell us a bit more about it? I made it very accidentally. I did not know that it would become the resource that it did, but it is a pyramid that starts from, it really examines conspiracy theories and it starts at the bottom from real conspiracies that happened because it's important to acknowledge the times that people in power abuse their power. And it works its way up away from reality in five categories, essentially, where you pass a speculation line and we get to like things we might have questions about, then we kind of leave reality and we have kind of more less harmful, but a little bit ridiculous conspiracy theories, things like the Beatles never existed, like, you know, cryptids, things like that. And then we get to this like more science denial or denial of reality kind of conspiracy theories where we have a lot of like anti-vaccine messaging or a fundamental denial of real life politics. And then once we pass the anti-Semitic point of no return, you're into uh, the, the very dangerous conspiracy theories that are often rooted in the protocols of the elders of Zion and just end in anti-Semitism and are fundamentally about small group of Jews controlling the world. It's amazing. I'm going to link the resource so everybody can see this on, on the episode description, but it's such a clear path that you can see people going through and people do go through this. I mean, we've all dabbled in conspiracy theory. You know, we've <laughs> all had our moments where we've dabbled into conspiracy theory, but there is, as you say, that the bigger steps, like the farther you go into this pyramid, the harder it is to get out. Yeah. And also, I think what the pyramid helps to demonstrate is that the more you believe one, like the more you believe a conspiracy theory, the more likely you are to believe others. So it kind of spreads and brings you farther and farther up, which can tend to happen. I'm not saying like all people follow this path, like plenty of people, you know, just are really they they just are 9-11 truthers. Like there are some people like that, but for a lot of people that kind of thinking and the the stu studies also show this is that, that that type of conspiratorial thinking increases belief in other conspiracies as well. 
When you say that there is this anti-Semitic point of no return, am I right in understanding that that's not to mean that the steps before it don't have anti-Semitism, but that after the anti-Semitic point of no return, that's when you really off the deep end when it comes to conspiracy theories? I mean, you can find anti-Semitism in lots of (laughs) conspiracy theories, but really the point with that phrasing and with those conspiracy theories that are particularly harmful is that the the anti-Semitism is crucial and like fundamental to the conspiracy itself. Like it's based on, for that conspiracy to be true, there has to be a tiny group of people who are controlling the world, often harvesting the blood of children or, you know, keeping a massive secret from the entire world. And it really is based in the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is like a Russian disinformation from 1903 about Jews controlling the world. And a lot of it stems from from that single single story. It's bizarre and fascinating how hundreds of years down the line, 100 years down the line, the protocol of the other Scion is still a thing. It's just morphed into this online thing. Oh, yeah. It's 100% like QAnon. It's just like rebranded protocols of the other Scion. It's... So let me ask you then about TikTok. So you described yourself as a TikToker. And uh, before we get into conspiracy theories and TikTok and, and fascism and the far right and TikTok, what would you say about people who dismiss TikTok as a social media only for teenagers to do funny dances? I would say that they're wrong and haven't been on the app. It's at this point, it's the most downloaded social media platform in the world. And it has, you know, it has an active user base that's twice that of Twitter. Yet there are people who focus on Twitter and take it very seriously. I think that there is a lot of misogyny in that dismissal. I think people tend to look at TikTok and go, oh, it's just teenage girls lip syncing and dancing. Like what could possibly be going on there? It doesn't matter. It's just kids. And the reality is that the user base, first of all, isn't just kids and that those kids are also capable of finding extremists, finding and sharing extremist materials. Those, Those kids are also capable of finding and sharing extremist materials. So It's an incredibly important platform to understand. It's also using an algorithm that's really unlike anything we've ever seen before. So it's possible to be shown extremist content without really looking for it. It's it's offering new ways in. And it just isn't just a dancing app. I think people who aren't on it have a hard time understanding that because a lot of the coverage is about how, you know, there's a new dance trend or there is a a new food being tried on TikTok. But really, there's a lot of political discourse on there. There's a lot of social justice discourse on TikTok. There is a lot of activism on TikTok. And in addition to that, there is a, a lot of disinformation, a lot of misinformation, a lot, and a fair amount of extremism. So it certainly isn't just a dancing app for teens. I'm on TikTok as well. I have a very, very small account. Haven't gone viral yet. <laughs> Actually, will get there. I'll get there. We'll all get there. Actually, one of my videos did go viral. It got over 100,000 views, but then TikTok took it down for hate speech because it was a video comparing the, I posted it on January as the interaction was happening in, in, in America, because I was seeing a lot of discourse from the UK, from people being kind of smug about it, like, look how crazy things are in America. So I did this video with a comparison of what was happening in America with what's happening here in the UK, that the same kind of far-right white supremacist extremism that you have in the US, you have here in the UK. 
and uh, TikTok took it down for for um, hate speech. And it wasn't one of those permanent ones that you can't appeal because I appealed and they said it was um, against the community guidelines that they've never put it back up again. So, yeah. TikTok's moderation guidelines are pretty opaque and we don't understand what's going on. I think that they are having a very hard time figuring out all of the ethical dilemmas that have been raised by this kind of Frankenstein's monster of an algorithm that they have put together. They're in a tough position. I do have, you know, sympathy for them, but I also need them to to work with me a bit here. (laughs) And they, they often take down the wrong things and leave up things that are really dangerous. You especially see that affecting creators of color for a while. I think this might actually still be happening, but a lot of black creators on the app were having their videos of like just them talking marked as marked and removed for nudity because of some algorithmic racism that was flagging their videos. So there, there are a lot of issues with their moderation and what they leave up and take down. There's been a lot of instances of them leaving up the original racist or hateful or anti-Semitic con- content, but removing the creators who then try and explain why that's hateful. Like you said, we can have some sympathy for it, but it does make it so much more difficult for people who are activists on the app, who are working on social justice and who are working in education. I mean, there are certain words that you even try to avoid saying when you put it on the on the, oh my God, the word, the captions, you know, like, Nazi. oh, I censor myself. Yeah. I censor all myself the time. all the time. Yeah. Which is like, I have to do that. Imagine what the actual Nazis have to do and <laughs> how good everybody is getting at kind of self-censorship and encoding their own language. I mean, I participate in it to avoid uh, getting flagged and still being able to have my content seen. I've been thinking maybe TikTok isn't the platform for me because I work on extremism and fascism and these kinds of things. And I was really looking at TikTok as a, as a way of, of sharing information and education and activism and all of it. But all my content gets flagged because of the words I use, you know, fascism and, and neo-Nazi and far-right extremism and things like that. It's very difficult for any of my videos to get through, even to my follower base, which is, you know, I'm not, this is not a, like a complaint. I'm fine. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't want to sound it, turn into the podcast where I complain that I'm not TikTok famous. But what I'm trying to get at with all of this is that if when I'm coding myself, when I'm talking about these things so I can get through, my video can get through and it, and it get, doesn't get flagged. You code yourself so you your video and your content can get through and it doesn't get flagged. As you said, there is further coding happening from those in neo-Nazi communities and white supremacist communities to get their content across in a way that not only gets through the algorithm and it doesn't get flagged, but it can get past us too and people who are working on on anti-fascism and anti-neo-Nazi activism on the internet. Because if it's becoming more and more coded, it could be they are talking about something that just goes over our head. It may seem innocuous to us, but they're actually being Nazis. <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen a lot of that. This like extreme, extreme irony that is so deeply coded that you, I mean, I, I almost missed it on my first go. I had to like actually kind of look at it twice. So I imagine somebody who's not trained to go looking and trying to find that kind of content would not be able to tell that it is ironic and, you know, far right content. 
you did a video recently, which I saved because I'm going to use that when I when I return to teaching. One of many, the one about, oh gosh, I always pronounce it wrong. So that's where you corrected for me. Hyper, hyper, hyperborea? Hyperborea. Hyperborea, thank you. And how that is, you know, absolutely neo-Nazi conspiracy theory myth. But it is surprisingly big on TikTok. I personally have seen so many videos of them showing up and they all spell hyperborea differently. So that's one way to get through the algorithm. And something I pointed out in that video as well, but it's been a recurring problem with TikTok is TikTok will ban a specific hashtag once you kind of point it out to them and you're like, hey, your hashtag Hyperborea exists and it has millions of views. You should do something about that. And they ban it, but they don't ban any of the adjacent hashtags. And it doesn't seem like even if you tag it with Hyperborea, it doesn't seem to actually affect how it then performs on TikTok, especially even looking at what is in the captions and what it necessarily, like what hashtag was necessarily used with the video does not actually inform you on the content of the video. And that's what matters the most. So researching on TikTok really requires that you kind of use the algorithm to your advantage if you want to go to find those videos that maybe aren't tagging hashtag Hyperborea, but are still pushing it. What I wanted to ask is when it comes to the user base of TikTok, it tends to be, at least in, as far as I know, much um, younger people than, you know, Twitter and Facebook and things like that. So there is a particular vulnerability that young people will have to these messages because, I mean, let's face it, the idea that there is, you know, a secret civilization living in Antarctica, that sounds like an interesting sci-fi book, you know, like a, a plot. And people use that to target younger people to these conspiracy theories? My understanding, and just this this is from being on TikTok and trying to understand what is captivating these younger users on TikTok and like like what exactly is it that they're so drawn to, it really does seem like it often is conspiracy theories and it often is the more outlandish one. It is these kind of fantastical science fiction kind of conspiracy theories where uh, secret aliens are part of the government or there's an ancient civilization in Antarctica or, you know, like Illuminati celebrity ones. And I think that there's a great deal of escapism that they appeal to. Like they, they offer these types of conspiracies seem to offer this escapism, which I think especially in, you know, a 20, 21 world where a lot of these kids have been isolated for a while. They've grown up now. They've had a few, several like really key developmental years spent away from their friends and in a not ideal world. And they look at the future and there is looming climate change that they already see happening and they don't see much action being ta- being taken to prevent it. And I, I think that those types of fantastical conspiracy theories then really appeal to them because they offer a totally different reality to jump into. It's not surprising then that this recent report by the University College London on the prevent duty here in the UK. So the prevent duty is school teachers, police officers, social workers, doctors, they have a duty to prevent terrorism. So essentially to spot, you know, signs, early signs of radicalization. And there was this um, report this a uh, couple of weeks ago done by the Uni- University College London on the prevent duty, say that in schools in particular, that teachers were saying that they were not prepared to tackle 
the current threat in schools of extremism, because a lot of it was taking the shape of conspiracy theories. And I think, as you said, it's not at all surprising that this is happening now when people have been isolated for so long and children have been isolated. Conspiracy theories tend to pop up during times of high anxiety. So our brains really like them because when when we interpret there being an, ex, an existential threat that surrounds us, our brains kind of start doing overload work and they start looking for more patterns in the world and they start looking for answers. They start looking for potentially a group that they can blame, an outside group to serve as a scapegoat. So when you feel that existential stress, the natural thing to do, like the human thing to do is lean into these conspiracy theories because they provide a simple answer and they allow you to start trying to pick out specific, you know, clues or secrets that you missed and try and piece together why this is happening. Why do you feel unsafe and how can you fix it? Unfortunately, they have a, they kind of have a positive feedback loop because when you, that answer that you then turn to is secret group controlling the world, that actually just increases your anxiety and your sense of an existential threat um, and pushes you further into that mindset. But it's not surprising that during times of uncertainty and anxiety like this, we would turn to simple answers like conspiracy theories. Our conspiracy theories on TikTok. I mean, I'm not asking for a percentage, but for the listeners who are not familiar with TikTok, how easy would it be to come across a conspiracy theory video on TikTok? They are huge. They get millions and millions of views. There's on TikTok, there's a app wide kind of joke of being on a certain side of TikTok. So for instance, there's gay TikTok, there's book talk, there's, you know, food TikTok, there's conspiracy talk, which is a literal hashtag that exists. There are several major accounts that exclusively focus on putting out conspiracy content because it is just eaten up. It's, it's really like junk food for your brain. It's just kind of, it's like chips and chocolate and just like snacks that don't actually provide any nourishment, but do kind of stimulate you at first, like a sugar rush to the brain. And they provide, I mean, like millions and millions of views are going to that content. So the hashtags on TikTok, when you search for hashtag, it gives you the total number of views of across all videos that have been posted with that hashtag. So hashtag conspiracy is at 7.8 billion views. Hashtag conspiracy theory is at 1.9 billion views. Hashtag conspiracy theories is at 1.6 billion views. Hashtag conspiracy TikTok is at 700 million views. Conspiracy talk is at 1.2 billion views. Oh my goodness. How serious does TikTok take this? Not. <laughs> What's the opposite of serious? I don't know. They, they don't... I've, my experience with TikTok, as well as with other platforms when it comes to conspiracy theories, is that they don't understand the harm that it is doing. And because it doesn't appear like there is material harm occurring immediately from them, they therefore think that they're probably fine. And if TikTok is 
not acting on it, I think it's safe to assume that authorities in different countries are also not acting on the dangers that conspiracy theory and extremism on TikTok pose. I think TikTok is under the same impression that a lot of policymakers are under, which is that they are just a dancing app. And they want desperately to be a dancing app, but that doesn't change the fact that their platform is being used for ways besides being a dancing app. So I don't think they were prepared to get that big, but I do think that they have responsibility now that they have and now that their platform is being used that way to address it. So I think a lot of the problems with the lack of regulation and the lack of just understanding and research on the topic in general is that the people making decisions both on the tech side and the policy side are older and don't actually really know what's going on on the platforms. And again, it's like you said, it's very easy to dismiss something that they assume only teenage girls use, what that should only be used for teenage girls. I mean, we all, we all as a society hate everything that teenage girls do and, and love. So if a teenage girl loves something like a band, like One Direction, it obviously must suck and be bad. And like we tend to have a very similar reaction to uh, TikTok often. There's kind of like a lot of mockery of it. And then there's also the problem and, you know, there's a benefit to it as well. But the content's often protected. So unless you know how to either go looking for it or you are susceptible to it, it's not going to find you. Like if you set up a TikTok feed and you're just scrolling in a way that you enjoy interacting with the content, it's not that likely that you'll be repeatedly shown hate symbols. You won't see that many sonin rods, right? But if you are susceptible to it or you are looking for it, that's when the algorithm would provide it for you. So TikTok can create these silos, essentially, because if you're on BookTok and you want to be exclusively on BookTok, you just interact with the BookTok videos. You just post if you want to post videos about books and you just interact and watch videos about books. And that that's your TikTok experience. You don't have the algorithm. is not going to suggest you watch suddenly uh, something from thinking of what is the opposite of BookTok. I don't know. Car talk. I don't know if that exists. Car TikTok. There. Oh, there's car talk. I mean, there's a there's a lot of military TikToks. Like, I think like if you're deep on like queer book talk and you really are just like following a lot of the discourse on specific books, like there's a chance that TikTok would be like you like career book talk like how do you feel about musical theater tiktok but there is not a high chance that they would then be like how do you feel about marines tiktok (laughs) yeah and i there's a lot of jokes aren't there like within the app within tiktok when you see a video come on your feed and you're like oh my god the algorithm is working too well the algorithm knows me too well because with all that its failings um, and there are lots of failings with TikTok one thing that the algorithm does well is keep you hooked not just on your own little thing but offer you other sides of TikTok that are related to your interest so many times I've been scrolling through my page my for you page and I'm like oh my god how does the algorithm know that I had that song stuck in my head? The algorithm can know really terrifying things about you. There's a very common joke on gay TikTok about the algorithm knowing you're gay before any of your family did. 
and sometimes before you do because I've seen that before (laughs) where they're like yeah they're like oh have you have you tried gay content and then you're like wait I like that (laughs) yeah so content wait I really enjoyed that can you do that again a few I think it was last year I saw a lot of this on hashtag (laughs) bisexual pirates hashtag a lot of people on the comments of it going oh my god I didn't know I was gay until I didn't know I was bisexual until I started watching all these videos yep you're getting a lot of sexual awakenings happening on TikTok and (laughs) I I'm for that like that's great the pirate hashtag was phenomenal I hope that content never stops bisexual pirates should be around forever we would much rather have bisexual pirates than hyperborea any day absolutely (laughs) any day you Hi, frenemies. Thank you so much to all of you who sent us screenshots of the reviews of the show and everyone who bought me a coffee or joined as monthly supporters. I am very happy to announce that the winner of the Storm is Upon Us giveaway is... Drum roll. <laughs> David Landon Cole. Congratulations, David. Look out for an email from us this week with the details. I am going to announce the date for November's meeting of the Frenemies Book Club next week. I just need to finalize some things to make sure of the timings, and I will let you all know. I cannot wait for it. Also, the bonus episode of October's book club will be released later on this week. I also wanted to say that we are holding our ranking above Nigel Farage in the Apple Podcast Politics charts. Thank you so much. I still cannot believe that um, the podcast is doing so well. I honestly thought only my parents would be listening. (laughs) So let's keep this going by continuing to listen to the show, sharing, reviewing, rating, following, basically telling everyone you know about us. Thank you so much for your support. And now back to the show. get into this topic into researching this into researching disinformation in general but disinformation on tiktok so really it was tiktok itself that pushed me into the disinfo world so it i started using tiktok just before the pandemic and then obviously it was locked at home had very little to do was addicted to tiktok watching it and i posted a video that went viral about hating golf and just kind of kept making videos about that because I thought it was funny and I come from an environmental science background and genuinely do hate golf. And it kept going viral and it was fun and I enjoyed that and got to kind of be put into the creator world of TikTok first. So I joined a lot of the environmental community. I still am a co-member. Co- I still am a uh, co-director of EcoTalk, which is an environmental TikTok collective, and was just a creator for a while, for a few months. And and then I made the conspiracy chart just because it, it was something that as a creator, I was seeing a lot of, I was getting it in my comments, right? Like people were going and posting links to QAnon documentaries in my comment section. And I was seeing so much of it. So I made the chart and actually just making the chart itself is kind of what pushed me into having to explain all of these conspiracy theories on TikTok and on other platforms as well. Then after January 6th, I was kind of fell into the role of explaining what QAnon was 
was because people were really confused. And I just kind of kept having to explain uh, different misinformation and disinformation on the platform. And that meant that I kept tracking it and following it. And over time, just kind of became an expert in researching that specifically on the platform, learning how to go hunting for it. (laughs) So it's kind of evolved very naturally. I didn't intend to end up in this position, but it's interesting. I wanted to ask as well, because you did mention QAnon. And again, there is this understanding from people outside of the TikTok environment that QAnon is something that happens, you know, mostly in 4chan or Reddit or perhaps Facebook, but they don't connect it wrongly, of course, with um, with Instagram, but also they don't connect it at all with TikTok. So how big is QAnon content? On it depends what the content is. So you will see a lot of kind of QAnon adjacent content go viral. You don't really see very many people dissecting Q drops. I mean, I've even seen QAnon followers black out. So they'll pull up Q drops on in their videos and black out Q because I think that they know that either it'll be removed or people are kind of put off by it. So it's, it's more the QAnon adjacent or kind of, I'd say like the fallout from QAnon sort of content and that mentality, that ideology that continues to be huge on TikTok. So on the far right side of TikTok, conspiracy theories in general are huge. Adrenochrome beliefs are still huge. A lot of save the children beliefs are still huge. Even with those hashtags banned, that content will often still go very viral. And then if you take another step back and you look at kind of more Illuminati content, more conspiracy theory that's masked as being fun and which is a, like, you know, for a step further away from QAnon, that stuff would go even, you know, even more viral. The, the K-pop band BTS were huge. They had a, a collaboration with McDonald's. They had a special meal with McDonald's and people were selling the chicken nuggets from those meals online because they looked like certain characters of a video game. And then some people started suggesting that that wasn't chicken nuggets, it was children. So it was all about a save the children sex trafficking thing masquerading as BTS chicken nuggets. Where in the in your conspiracy chart would that fall? <laughs> I mean, I'd consider that. I mean, whenever it comes to kind of a global ring of sex traffickers that exists, I would usually put that at the top at this like anti-Semitic point of no return. There's an interesting phenomenon on TikTok, which is extremely concerning, but the existence of a... The existence of mysterious, scary sex traffickers who will kidnap you at a parking lot and sell you into the sex trade is not just a conspiracy theory that exists on TikTok so much as it is just like an accepted belief. Like that is accepted as fact. It's it's the backbone of so many other viral videos on TikTok. So that's why we get so many 
you know, sex trafficking panic videos on TikTok where people think that trash left on their car or, you know, mark on their car is a sign that they're marked for trafficking, that like they're going to get trafficked in a Target parking lot. They also buy into the, the Wayfair conspiracies over and over and over again. I've seen people do the exact same thing as Wayfair. I've seen Wayfair repeated on TikTok multiple times, even though it's been so thoroughly debunked. But the same thing with like this, oh, I found an overpriced item and therefore it must be children. And so same as the chicken nugget. I've seen it done with like sparkly hats on Amazon. So pervasive and really is a backbone of so many other videos is like this general sex trafficking panic and idea that the way sex trafficking works is that there is a mysterious group of people who will kidnap you and you will that's you will be sold into slavery and that's not how sex trafficking works how safe it is to assume that somebody that is on conspiracy talk that is watching those videos that it will also be watching videos that has anti-Semitic content and is um, linked it has like far-right extremist content or white supremacist content I don't think I can put, you know, necessarily a number to that, but they are so connected and the number of videos that you consume in a TikTok viewing session is, you know, infinitely higher than, you know, any platform before it. It's it's highly likely that that will lead you further into hateful content following conspiracy theories and it, Following accounts that promote conspiracy theories, in my experience during my research, does, you know, push you farther down into more and more radical content. So while the conspiracy theories that you might initially be exposed to aren't overtly anti-Semitic, engaging with them does tend to or does appear to push you into more hateful narratives. So how difficult is it? to de-radicalize, as it were, someone who has passed that anti-Semitic point of no return and does believe in things like QAnon, Pizzagate, even Flat Earth. I don't usually think of it when we talk about, like, you know, moving up the pyramid and becoming more and more radicalized. I don't tend to think of people also moving down. I think that I know that my work has helped some people to get out, but I don't think that in general you're going to get out of that type of ideology unless some part of you wants to. So I don't really think of people, you know, moving step by step down into less hateful conspiracies so much as I think of them jumping out of the pyramid to get out. I think you have to really cut yourself off and stop consuming that to move in any direction besides up. It's not going to de-radicalize you. Like if you already believe in QAnon and then you watch content about a conspiracy that really did exist or, you know, conspiracy that we have like legitimate questions about, that's not going to decrease your belief in QAnon. I think it would just really (laughs) reinforce it. Yeah. So I guess if you need um, to get rid of your conspiracy theory beliefs, you need a complete break from it. You need strong boundaries and not getting involved in any kind of thinking or content like that. I mean, so much of it is emotional. I really don't think that any amount of uh, logical arguments or rational thinking is going to be what gets anybody out of a hateful ideology like that. You're not going to do it with rational thinking because your, your ideology isn't rational. You didn't come there 
come to that belief through like a bunch of like logical steps that that you you entered that belief system because it was supplying you with some you entered that belief system because it was meeting some sort of emotional or psychological need that you had at the time so really to get out isn't going to be you know discussing more conspiracy theories and figuring out where you went wrong so much as it is meeting your emotional needs figuring out what is making you unhappy, how you can fix that and what you need to have a fulfilled life that doesn't involve hate. How difficult is it then to reach people who have fallen really down that rabbit hole? There have been so many articles written about people who have lost family members to these conspiracy theories, like QAnon, for example. Yeah, I get a lot of messages, like a lot, a lot of messages from people who have lost their, you know, brothers, sisters, best friends, parents, partners to this type of thinking and really aren't able to connect with them. And getting them back is tough. And I think it's especially tough during a pandemic and when we don't really understand necessarily the full scope of their beliefs and, you know, de-radicalization itself is not a perfect science by any measure or really that well-researched itself. And we, we know that they need personal connection and they need support and they need to check out from those communities that they're in at the moment. But fundamentally, they need to want to get out. What do you think is that is needed from TikTok in order to tackle this kind of content on their platform? A lot more transparency. So I get very frustrated with TikTok. There are some things that are very obvious that they have not tackled. And for a while that has been having an extremism team, like a team that understands these issues and, you know, is open about what they are working on and how they plan to moderate on their platform. So they need a lot of transparency when it comes to their moderation guidelines, how they're enforcing those what they actually look like. There's a lot of questions that creators have and a lot of very valid frustrations that creators have as well. So if I were in charge of TikTok, I mean, I I understand that it's, they're in a tough position. Like they have created a wild new social social media platform that offers new, new benefits, but also a lot of new challenges. And the best way to tackle those is going to be like with a lot of brainstorming and a lot of transparency and also including the young people who use the platform. Because if you continue to make those decisions without the user's participation, you're really not going to come to the right decisions at all. Thank you so much, Abby. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was Abby Richards. You can find her on Twitter at AbbyAS. Her TikTok account is at Tophology, and I'll make sure to link to her TikTok account as well as her latest research on the episode description. Next week, we will be speaking with Annie Kelly about the anti-vax movement and its connections with QAnon and the anti-feminist manosphere, so make sure to check that out. You still have a little over two weeks to join the live meeting of November's Frenemies Book Club. Just become a monthly supporter over at Coffee. 
And don't forget, if you like the show, please tell everyone you know. Your support really means the world to me. You can find us on Twitter at EnemiesPod. I'm on Twitter at Maria W. Norris. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week for more Enemies of the People. Thank you.